from St. George to St. Albans, from City Island to City Hall, and right here in the People's Republic of Brooklyn, it's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs, so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show on the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from GothamGazette.com. Jarrett, good to see you. You too. We last spoke on Primary Eve. It feels like it was about two years ago. Yes, it's uh, quite a few news cycles since then. The primary fallout, uh, everything happening, of course, with the Trump administration and the Kavanaugh confirmation or not. Uh, Lots of things happening, of course, but we continue now with our election focus, and we're back now post-primary, moving into the general election. I know we've already done that with a couple of articles at Gotham Gazette, and we're starting to really dig into these general election contests in New York, where we've got fewer than 50 days until election day. 47 days. Yes, thank you. counting. Um, So we've got some really interesting things to dig into, and we're starting with that here today. Although, Part of the show is also looking back. <laughs> looking back, that's right. We'll be speaking today with Mark Molinaro, Mark Molinaro, sorry, who is the gubernatorial candidate for the Republican Party. He'll be on in a few minutes. And after that, we'll hear a conversation Ben and I had earlier today with Rebecca Katz, who is the chief strategist for Cynthia Nixon's gubernatorial campaign. So a look forward and a look back. And Ben, the governor's race is obviously at the top of the ticket, the top of the table in terms of the fall contests we're watching. But What are some of the other ones that interest you most? So folks should understand now, even though we had this contentious Democratic primary for lieutenant governor, now it's a ticket, governor and lieutenant governor. So we don't really need to worry about voting on the lieutenant governor line, although those candidates can play an important role. But beyond governor, you know, attorney general, controller races, certainly. And then we have the state Senate. That's really where so much of the focus and action is going to be. And in the primaries, most of that was New York City. And now most of it moves out of New York City. We should also note that while both of our publications focus on city and state level politics and government, there's federal level elections happening that are really important. There's one U.S. Senate race in New York, Kirsten Gillibrand's being uh, challenged uh, by the Republican candidate Shel Farley, but also really the House delegation uh, elections is, is are of utmost importance with Democrats trying to flip seats in New York to contribute to a national wave they're hoping flips the chamber. And one of those uh, potentially flippable races is in New York City and Staten Island and Brooklyn, the 11th District, currently represented by Dan Donovan, the former DA there. Max Rose, an Army veteran, is challenging him. That's a contentious race. There are others in New York State. And the state Senate, as you mentioned, one of at least one of the races people are watching to some degree is in the confines of New York City. That is the Martin Golden seat, Republican Senator long-serving from Brooklyn, being challenged by Andrew Gennardis, a Democrat who ran against him before and did okay for a guy challenging an incumbent. Six uh, years ago. Six years yeah. ago, and we'll see what's different, if anything, this time. But yeah, most of the action there uh, moving upstate. But you, but you hit on a good point, which is that there's at least one House race and one state Senate race in the city confines that folks should know about and, and certainly will be getting a lot of attention And then we move into some of the swing districts, Hudson Valley, Long Island, and even some other places throughout the state where, you know, you have pockets where it's more about can the Democrats kind of compete with Republicans when you get outside of New York City in a lot of instances. One of the fascinating things here as we move to the general election is Governor Cuomo. He comes out of the primary having won by a fairly wide margin, but definitely bruised not only with some of the missteps that he made in the campaign, but also the fact that you had 
this riled up at least third of the Democratic primary electorate really going after him. I mean, we'll hear from Rebecca Katz in the second half of the show who ran Cynthia Nixon's campaign, more or less. And they were really attacking him throughout the campaign. And that's fodder, perhaps, for Mark Molinaro, our guest in a couple minutes, to use, as well as other gubernatorial candidates. So the Cuomo situation is very interesting. Not only can he prevail in the election, but he's already made it his stated mission to help flip the Senate, flip the House, so that's just a fascinating through line there, of course. It is. And I think there's an interesting interplay between the federal story and the state story that Cuomo is going to be at the center of, which is that in a lot of his advertisements, even before the primary, when he was running against another Democrat, he was really running against Donald Trump. Uh, he probably plans to do that again in his race against Molinaro. Um, that will be a conversation I'm sure that the Republicans try to uh, try to differentiate a bit. Uh, it's def- it, it is it's already the conversation that he's having, and he even released an ad today attacking Mark Molinaro, who's going to be our guest in mere seconds, uh, as a Trump mini-me, which is their standard line. And of course, you know, uh, Governor Cuomo has been running throughout against Donald Trump and is trying to continue to do that. And we're, of course, now going to be joined on the line by Mark Molinaro, the Dutchess County Executive and the gubernatorial nominee from not only the Republican Party, but the Conservative Party and the Reform Party as well. Mr. Malnaro, thanks for joining us on WBAI. You're with Jarrett Murphy and Ben Max. Guys, please, it's Mark. Don't don't ever call me Mr., but thank you. (laughs) Good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Um, So for folks who are getting their first introduction to you, I know you've been traveling around the state with a very busy campaign schedule, including in New York City. But for listeners who might be getting their first uh, inkling of of who you are and what you're about, tell us a little bit before we get into your platform. Who are you? Where do you come from? uh, What do you do? (laughs) Well, I I think you uh, you know that I'm the uh, county executive in Dutchess. Uh, I've served as Dutchess County's executive for the last seven years. Um, And uh, prior to that, six years in the New York State Assembly. Uh, But uh, uh, I began my public service career as an 18-year-old, decided that... uh, my hometown government wasn't paying attention to uh, the needs of my community and uh, decided to run. I ran for the village board of trustees and uh, a year later uh, in 1995 at the age of 19, I, I was elected mayor of my hometown. Uh, so I've spent every day of my adult life trying to make government work for people. Um, and uh, uh, as uh, county executive last uh, six years, I've, I've watched the state of New York uh, become too expensive for too many people. I've seen uh, the failure of state government. Uh, in so many ways, uh, and a corrupted administration uh, defraud taxpayers. So I, I was sort of compelled to, uh, uh, to run, but um, to be, uh, to be, you know, uh, I guess more personal, I, I, I tell you, uh, and, and I think you guys know this. Uh, you know, I, I have, uh, I have a wonderful wife and three children. We're expecting our fourth uh, on his way uh, later in in November. Uh, two boys and a girl. My daughter Abigail was born on the autism spectrum, lives with some developmental disabilities. Uh, and uh, we, we live with the same challenges that a lot of families live with all across the state. Uh, and I've talked about this often, but, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an ordinary New Yorker. I was raised by a single mom, uh, food stamps, put food on the table a number of, for a number of years as my childhood. Uh, always worked two or three jobs as a kid to kind of help the family and, and make ends meet. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's about time that uh, New Yorkers had a governor who uh, knows how difficult it is to live in New York. Uh, Mr. County Executive, this time of year when the phone rings at my house, it's often uh, a pollster. And one of the questions they ask is, how you describe your political philosophy? Are you liberal, moderate, or conservative? I say liberal. What do you say when you get a question like that? 
I, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if we could boil ourselves down to single words, I, I think we're, we're doing something wrong. I, I'm a pragmatic public servant. I, my, my goal is simply to bring people together to solve problems. I, I like solutions. I don't necessarily uh, govern by ideology. Um, I guess in the 21st century world of politics, I'm a, I'm a pragmatic, um, middle-of-the-road Republican, sort of the traditional uh, limited but active government, uh, uh, respect of civil rights and civil liberties, but also recognition that, that we can't spend money we don't have. So um, I don't know what tradition that is, uh, other than uh, for 25 years I've defined myself and uh, have a pretty decent record of, uh, uh, of being a, a, a responsible and reasonable public servant. So when you talk to voters, and as I said, I've been following your campaign schedule, of course, and you've had a very active one, lots of meet and greets, uh, lots of events all over the state. Uh, Also interesting to see you march in some of the New York City parades, which I think Republican candidates for governor have often eschewed, which is, uh, you know, an interesting strategy. I don't know how many votes it's getting you, but it's it's interesting, of course, to see you participate in those, you know, all around the state, uh, those types of events. But anyway, when you're talking to voters and you just have that brief moment um, other than the attacks on Andrew Cuomo, and we can get into some more of those, of course, um, as we talk here, but other than the attacks on Governor Cuomo, what do you say that you want to do as governor if you're elected? Uh, you know, first understand that every interaction I have is, is really about the voter, and I make perfectly clear. I mean, elections aren't about candidates. It's about the needs that, that people have. And, and I, you know, I talk about my, my background and, and the fact that I understand how tough it is, and I have yet to be uh, any place in New York, whether it's New York City, Buffalo, or, or anywhere north, south, east, or west of there, um, you know, residents feel left out. They, they feel like there is this ruling class of people, you know, that from time to time show up for a press conference. Maybe they say they're going to solve the problem, and then they disappear. And, and they feel like this government is, is divorced from their realities. They also recognize that whether they're living in, in NYCHA housing, where the ceiling's, you know, breaking in or falling down, or they're they're upstate struggling on a farm, that it's expensive. It's just too expensive. And the opportunity to make ends meet is just not there. So I just talk about the fact that I've lived this challenging life and recognize uh, the burdens that people face and that we're not going to solve these problems with attack ads. We're not going to solve these problems with tribalism. We're only going to solve these problems by sort of putting aside those things that may, that, that maybe define our differences and focus on bringing two people together to solve problems. And and I'll tell you, uh, I, I really hear it everywhere. And to your point about being in the city, I don't know how many votes it's going going to win me, but 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 voters in New York City deserve to see their elected official, their governor, their gubernatorial candidate, regardless of party. And I'd offer to you the same is true upstate that that, that many many New Yorkers upstate feel like you know this governor has just sort of forgotten them. So at the end of the day, I show up because that's how you earn respect. It's how you show respect. And it's how you bring people together to solve problems. That's my priority. And if it results in a win, and I think it will, then great. Mission accomplished. One of the policy proposals you've put out so far deals with the MTA and some of the problems it's having. That's obviously in a line of attack that Cynthia Nixon tried against Governor Cuomo. And I'm curious, it's a complex plan you've put forward, but one of the things you talk about is trying to save money on some of the massive projects the MTA has underway. And what I always wonder is, is there a way to save money in those projects without costing jobs? Yes. The answer is yes. I've done this as a county executive, uh, identifying efficiencies and working with the collective bargaining units, the unions, uh, to identify where they can, they can achieve savings and, and the government can achieve savings. And both, at the end of the day, should benefit. 
And what we propose is actually a, a competitive uh, effort to say to uh, the, those within uh, the, so the collective bargaining units that, that let's achieve efficiencies and benefits. And every dollar we save, you should see some of that, too. It shouldn't just go into the system or to, uh, to, to cost re- simple cost reductions. I mean, there are mo- there's modernization within the collective bargaining agreements that would benefit the unions and the employees and, and, and benefit them both in service and, and, and benefits and also benefit in reduction of costs. The reduction of costs, they should see some of that. And, and by the way, it, it's, it, it's by delving into the detail. And I know Ben's heard me talk as, say this before. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a government geek. I mean, the problems that we face will only be solved by diving into the details, not by checking a box and pretending like <clears throat> the mission's been, been accomplished and, and, and move on. So, so we propose challenging both the, the bloated administration – um, and, and it is bloated, and it is arrogant, and it is it is sort of uh, disconnected from the the challenges riders face. And we challenge the the, the, the unions as well to identify together a, a a a roadmap to achieving savings. And those savings that savings will help to in, will help to invest not only in the system but in the personnel as well. That's a win win, and it is achievable. It's achievable if you if you set aside some of the rhetoric and focus on uh, on, on on making. The invest the smart investments necessary to get the system functioning, and so, I believe we can do that pretty rapidly. So, as Jared just mentioned, you've released uh, a detailed plan on the MTA. It's it's gotten, um, I think, quite a few uh, positive remarks from from experts, um, and you've released a detailed plan on government ethics and government reform. And you're right. obviously planning to to release other policy agenda items. I know you you're plotting a big tax reform. Uh, package and agenda. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that might look like and and when voters should expect a real detailed proposal from you? Because, you know, from what I heard from your initial convention acceptance speech and and since is that that's going to be basically your marquee plan that you're running on. Well, I, I'm, I'm focused on those two components, ending corruption and the focus and, and reducing the cost of living for New Yorkers. And, and, and those two things are, are linked. It is the corruption within the state government that is costing taxpayers. It's the reason that projects don't get completed on time. It's the reason uh, that certain decisions are made that put people at risk. So understand that for me, corruption equals cost and, and, and corruption equals expense and defrauding taxpayers. And the governor has allowed that to occur for the last seven years benefiting from it politically uh, within within the next seven uh, to ten days we'll have the the uh, our tax plan released it will focus on driving down costs and, and assisting um, in in real relief uh, to families across the, the state of New York so that means property tax significant property tax relief uh, reform within that structure so uh, for instance in the city uh, in Queens and uh, on Staten Island uh, you know there is a big concern in areas of Brooklyn the assessed valuation and, and property taxes actually are a, a big burden. Also creating savings for those who, you know, who have real costs like daycare uh, and, and transportation costs, creating a mechanism to provide uh, cost uh, uh, reductions for those families as well. So it's a recognition that, that the middle class and, 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 and lower income families all across the state of New York are being overburdened by a government that seems to forget about them. And, and we're going to focus on that and driving down costs on, on ordinary New Yorkers. 
You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're on with Mark Molinaro, who is the gubernatorial candidate for the uh, GOP and conservative and reform parties, and also is the Dutchess County Executive. I'm curious, you tweeted the other day responding to a story about Governor Cuomo and some of the tactics used toward the end of his primary campaign. You said something along the lines of, there's there's no line that they won't cross. I'm curious, did you mean that literally? I mean, is your opponent depraved, uh, or do you simply have a disagreement about the right direction for the for the state? Well, I, I, honestly, I, I believe it's both. I think this governor has not learned the lessons of the 1970s when he participated in in in, uh, in despicable campaign tactics against Ed Koch. Uh, I don't think he's learned uh, uh, from uh, the corruption trials that uh, uh, have uh, brought to justice individuals in his administration that have defrauded taxpayers. I don't think um, he he is or his administration is forthright. Look. Uh, the, the the Buffalo Billion trial, I don't want to get into all these details, but right, the Buffalo Billion trial, pretend not to know who the people are, had nothing to do with it. Joe Prococo didn't know what he was doing in the governor's office while he was trading campaign contributions for, for taxpayer uh, resources. The opening of the Tappan Zee Bridge claimed to not have any involvement, yet it turns out through uh, through reporting that, that clearly uh, they made decisions based on political a political timeline and this, this horrible piece of mail. And, and I... You know, I, I feel for, for, for Ms. Nixon, that this horrible piece of mail that this administration, this governor, uh, put out w- was despicable, claiming anti-Semitism. She's raising her children uh, in the Jewish uh, faith, and then to claim to have no, no, no involvement, didn't know who it was, then it was a volunteer, and then it was somebody else, and then it, was, then it was one of his top lieutenants, Larry Schwartz, who only saw one side but didn't see the other. They seem incapable of telling the truth. And, and at the end of the day, the governor has to – and the public deserves some answers. Who's responsible for these things? And, and by the way, in the case of that piece of mail, you saw it. It reported there's an email chain between the governor's chief of staff, Larry Schwartz, uh, the governor's chief of staff's assistant or aide, if you will. The Larry Schwartz, who's a private employee for a business that is doing uh, – uh, that is benefiting from taxpayer uh, investment at LaGuardia – seemingly having unfettered access to state government, they blur the lines all the time. Yes, so Politics folks, and campaign, yeah. folks, folks can, um, the New York Post has been doing a lot of the reporting on that mailer that, that was, um, you know, came to light in the last couple of days of the primary. And I, I would encourage folks to look at the reporting you're referring to from the Post, who they've done a great job uh, trying to get to the bottom of who knew what. And, uh, and so folks can check that out. Before we go to a listener call or two, um, I just wanted to ask you, you you seem to be you know you you need to run um, as the Republican nominee here in order to have a chance to win. You need to run and capture obviously a very high percentage of the Republican vote across the state. But you also need to appeal to moderate Democrats and lots of the state's independents or unaffiliated voters, which there are many of throughout the state. Right. Um, you seem you seem to not be too. Um, Excited to talk about uh, the SAFE Act, um, but but when you're asked, I'm not exactly sure what your answer is in terms of the, that gun control legislation that's been one of the governor's uh, top accomplishments that he boasts about, at least. And and so there was a report today about a town hall you had last night, and they didn't quote you directly, but the report said that you said you want to dismantle the SAFE Act, that gun control legislation. So, so I wanted to give you a chance to, to address that. Yeah. No, so, so, Ben, you actually said the governor points to this as a chief accomplishment. That's, that's a lie, too. The governor traded away good major components of the SAFE Act 
uh, and then claims that that he he brought about sweeping change, which is partly a, a lie. Now, but but here's here's my perspective, and, and I and I offer you this example. I think you'll appreciate it, uh, and certainly listeners were would. Um, some time ago, uh, in New York City, and New York City has 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 had the strictest uh, gun control laws in the country for for significant period of time, and will always probably have the strictest gun control laws in the country. Uh, remember when 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 citizens, law-abiding citizens, felt that uh, that a policy, the stop and frisk policy, overstepped their their civil rights, they rose up spoke out and had the policy overchanged. And by the way, it did infringe on individual law-abiding citizens' civil rights. Now, flip the equation and come upstate where there is a different view of what uh, of, of gun ownership and what have you, and there are a good number of law-abiding citizens who now uh, feel, and rightfully so, that the governor has infringed on their civil rights. And therefore, there needs to be a healthy respect of that. So my p- position remains the same, that that, that you can't you, you can't sacrifice people's civil rights uh, and, and sort of check a box. And in some ways, the governor has advanced a policy that does infringe on civil rights. And at the end of the day, that ought to be protected and respected. And instead, what we ought to focus on, and, and this, is, this is what I want the state to focus on, is the root causes of violence. The, the governor has dismantled mental health services across the state of New York. There are people living with severe trauma who believe that, that the only way to act out is violently against themselves or others. We need to have trauma-informed training, crisis intervention training. We need to educate people about the services that are available so we can prevent incidents of violence. And so just as people rose up and spoke out in New York City, uh, and rightfully so, had a policy overturned, there needs to be equal consideration for those who feel that their civil liberties are being overturned. And Ben, I'll offer to you, and I'll stop talking on this, on this topic, that's the job of the governor. The governor is supposed to be a protector of the constitutional rights of New Yorkers. And whether I agree with the underlying policy or not, the civil rights of New Yorkers need to be protected. And that is what I express upstate and it's what I express downstate. There needs to be that healthy respect and a guarantee that the governor will stand up for the civil liberties of New Yorkers. Let's bring in a caller. Uh, hi, <laughs> you are on Max and Murphy. What's your question for Mr. Molinaro? Thank you, sir. Um I, first of all, uh, do you believe that quality of life is a constitutional right? I have a, an issue with the sewers in New York. The sewage um, and the sewer department, um, there was an independent study conducted that 100, something like $80 billion or $85 billion needs to be spent now to improve, upgrade, rehabilitate our sewers, and so, that's not a glamorous... Yeah, we're we're going to jump in and let Mr. Molinaro talk about sewer infrastructure and, and other infrastructure, if you'd like. I think that's great, and actually, as a village mayor, I, I actually had my hands in uh, uh, fixing sewer pipes, so I, I, I know a little bit about the, uh, the, way, the way this works. Listen, quality of life is a responsibility of both community and government, and we've seen a consistent uh, devaluation and lack of investment in infrastructure. Here's an example. Uh, 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 the, the New York State Thruway Authority seven uh, years ago was at 90% state of good repair. Today it's at, at 40% state of good repair. And so whether it's highways and bridges or sewer pipes and, and water access, we've allowed in this state a deterioration of the core infrastructure that people rely on. And sewer, uh, sewer infrastructure, water and wastewater infrastructure, is critical to public health and quality of life. So my answer is yes, we ought to be investing effectively. The governor squandered billions of dollars uh, in settlement uh, 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 revenue that came into the state 
that should have been focused on infrastructure. We should be investing in those things because, by the way, that's how you strengthen communities. It's how you protect quality of life. And it's how you really make an investment that for the long term people will, will pay attention to. But you know the problem with sewer pipes? They're underground. And the governor doesn't seem to care about the things that are underground, whether it's a subway tunnel, a water pipe, or a sewer pipe. Instead, we need these vanity projects to thump our chest and, and suggest success. I want to make sure that the underpinnings of, uh, of our community are protected and that we're making those smart investments because people rely on them and they deserve it. Yeah. Quickly, um, we just have a couple more minutes with you. Um, I just wanted to follow sure. up on your, your discussion of the SAFE Act there. What civil liberties particularly do you feel like have been violated of, of gun owners with the SAFE Act? Listen, there, there, there is a constitutional right, like it or not, upheld by the, the United States Constitution, and the governor has, has put in, in place a policy that in some ways uh, takes uh, the, the, the rights of law-abiding citizens and trashes them. You have a right to certain ownership. You have a right to certain ammunition. You have a right uh, to, to access a firearm. Where we do agree, and, and, and I think we need to be better at, is that if you do have severe mental health issues, if you do have a history of violent, a violent uh, a cr- a criminal offense or violent activity towards others, certainly there needs to be restrictions. But then there needs to be due process and a recognition that whether, uh, whether it's a government trying to protect us against criminals or government uh, attempting to protect us against violence, that you need a healthy respect for the civil rights of New Yorkers. I have the same, same concerns regarding the Patriot Act, an infringement on, on the individual rights of, 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 of Americans. There needs to be that healthy respect, and the governor doesn't seem to care. In fact, went so far as four years ago to say, you know, if you write a senator, you've got no place here in New York. That's not what a governor should say. And I'll say to your listeners and anyone else, if you're left of center, you have every place to be in New York. I want us to be a place that celebrates our differences and recognize, recognizes that the rights of New York City residents are as valuable as the rights of upstate New York residents. There needs to be that healthy respect and bridge the gap that often defines uh, uh, the, the you know, sort of this divide in New York. Mark Molinaro, Dutchess County Executive and candidate for governor, thank you so much for joining us on Max and Murphy. I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We'll be right back. And we're back on 99.5 WBAI, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio, coming to you from Brooklyn. You're on Max, or you're listening to <coughs> Max and Murphy with Jarrett Murphy and Ben Max. Ben, what do you think of Mark, as he asked us to call him? Yes. No, I've you know, i spoken with Mark Molinaro before. We've, we've covered him a bit, even though we were focused on the primary. We you know certainly wanted to give some attention, some light to the GOP gubernatorial nominee, which they had decided on months ago. They avoided a primary, so he's been clearly the nominee for a while. And he's very good at talking about government, about talking about his style of leadership. He's pretty clear, at least in the pitch he's giving, about being pragmatic, not being too concerned about party labels and ideology. And, you know, I don't know how much that really can carry you through an election. You have to still go and talk to voters and tell them what you're going to do. And and I like, you know, how he talks about listening first. That's that's a, a good appealing thing to hear a, a elected official candidate say. But um you know, the rubber meets the road when you decide what positions you you back and what your proposals are. I, just for those listening who might be concerned that Ben and I are focusing only on the top 
party candidates. Uh, as Ben has said before, we'll definitely be bringing on people from Libertarian and Green parties uh, to, to talk about their campaigns for governor and for hopefully some other seats too. Uh, but speaking of the people in the in the top uh, two parties, you know, people have already written off Mark Molinaro. Uh, he faces, much like Cynthia Nixon did, uh, incumbent governor with a tremendous operation with a lot of money. Um, but I, I did some math today and I, I looked in over the past three elections in New York State, the vote margin by which Democrats have won has shrunk every time. It was 1.8 million when Elliot Spitzer won, 1.4 million when Cuomo was elected the first time, only 500,000 last time. There's a lot behind that story, differing degrees of enthusiasm, different turnout, different kinds of opponents. But the gap is not unclosable, I don't think. I'm glad you did that, Math. I, I felt all along that his candidacy should not be dismissed, um, just like Cynthia Nixon's candidacy, sh- candidacy shouldn't have been dismissed, in part because these are people taking up the challenge. They're serious you know, people with policy proposals, et cetera. But for Molinaro, now that we look at the general, is there a path to victory? Yeah. It's, is it a narrow one? Probably. But as your math indicates and some other factors indicate— this is this is a race, and you know we we need to see what happens in the next few weeks. We need to take a look at some of the public polling that might come out. But does he face a major enrollment disadvantage? Of course, but there are all those independents out there. There are a lot of moderate Democrats, and there's also a lot of liberal Democrats who didn't vote for Cuomo in the primary, and we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know if they're going to go to Howie Hawkins, the Green Party candidate, who is saying already— Hey, Cynthia Nixon voters, I'm your guy, and we'll get a chance to talk with him, I believe, next week. That's correct, yes. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to be determined. Molinaro's a very good candidate, at least in the early going. Um, so so there's a lot to be determined, and, and there's also Cuomo fatigue that's possibly out there, right? Among the general election, you know, he did very well in the primary, or very solidly, and, you know, we need to see what the general election turnout looks like. We didn't get to this really with Molinaro. I'm sorry, you know, we didn't have time. But the Trump factor is also going to weigh him down big, though. 